Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And again, let me remind you of our retreat that is coming up in December, the first weekend. And um, it will be marvelous to see you face to face and spend the weekend together in the hotel around the Word of God. Be with us. Call our office today. Okay, I want to share a word with you. And I can't really tell you why. It just stares at me in the face and it demands that somebody says something about it. And so I want to read from Acts in chapter 2. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's that word, suddenly, suddenly. Why is it there? Why does it have to be there? And, and once I, I began to hear that word shouting at me from the text, I realized that it is scattered throughout the entire Bible, that when the Lord begins to do his work, then this word suddenly comes in. And then I realized after that that there are many times when the word could have been put in because what actually happened uh, was suddenly. And so I have returned to it, and I feel that I should share this with you tonight, suddenly. It's a word always used in connection with the way that God does his purpose. The, the way he does his things on earth among us, it's suddenly. That's the word that always crops up in God's work in our lives, in the midst of our churches, suddenly. What does the word mean? Well, uh, I mean, it, it means what we mean in English, the the literal meaning of the word, if we were to go back to the original language, means the blink of an eye or the wink of an eye. As fast as it takes for you to blink, suddenly you get the idea in a moment. And so the, the word means swiftly. Um, there's no foot dragging with this word. Suddenly, swiftly. It, it, it's... It's whatever is going to happen. When it says suddenly, it, there, there's no gradual introduction to what's going to be. It isn't that God tells us, well, in 10 minutes I'm going to 
or whatever. Nor does he say, now get a good night's sleep because I'm going to start work in the morning. No, he, he's not like the contractor that tells you he'll be there at 8 o'clock. It's suddenly, he's there, he's working. It's done, suddenly. And so the word has in it all the ideas connected with the unexpected. You, you can be certain when you use the word suddenly, it's something's happening that is contrary to all expectations. We didn't, we didn't, know, we, we didn't realize it was going to be like this. We, we, didn't, we didn't think of it happening today or at this time. It was suddenly, you see. So suddenly it means it was not on our schedule. We, we did not flip the pages of our daytimer and, and find out that at 3 o'clock this afternoon we're going to have a, an experience of God the Spirit in our hearts. It, it's no, you know, it's, it's not on our schedule. It's, in fact, suddenly would usually mean that it's interrupting our schedule. It's not on the agenda. And so the word suddenly intimates it's a surprise. It's, and suddenly, it's as if you walk into the next moment of life and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit says, surprise! And we realize the party is in full swing that we knew nothing about. Surprise, suddenness, it means unusual. This... We did not anticipate. It was unanticipated. Therefore, we were unprepared. We had no plans for this. And from the God side, he didn't really announce it to us until afterward. Then we begin to realize there were pointers all the way along. But you see, this is the way God works. Uh, as I said, I can give you so many illustrations, which I'm not going to do. Um, I want to get to the heart of this thing. Um, but uh, if you go back, what is it? Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 3. And I'm just throwing this out as a sort of a basic statement. The Lord is speaking and he says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. So he's giving us a running commentary. He said, I, I've, I've told you what I'm going to do. My purpose, my love plans for you, they, they are not a secret. I, I've told you what I'm going to do. They went forth from my mouth. The prophets told you. And I, I caused you to hear it. I didn't do this thing in a secret corner. But then he says, suddenly I did them and they came to pass and so he talked about it all the way along but when he actually did it it was sudden and unexpected it's the way God works and here in Acts chapter 2 I, I don't know if you've really studied what happened here let me give you a brief background on this it's been the most amazing six weeks and ten days of these disciples' lives. I mean, it started 50 days ago plus. It started with, with Jesus acting in a way he had not acted before, sharing with them 
truths that he had not shared before. And then they are plunged into the sufferings, the, the torture of Jesus, and they, they fall apart and they forsake him, they flee, and Peter denies him. John keeps his mouth shut. It was all chaos. And then the cross, and they behold Jesus hanging on the cross, and they, they watched his blood shed, and they watched him die. And, and the woman and John were there when they took his dead body, wrapped it in a few cloths and put him in the tomb cave of Joseph of Arimathea. And they rolled the stone over the door and they could not think in terms of what happened next. Every hope they had, everything they thought they understood from the Old Testament, it was all collapsed in a few hours. It's over. It's finished. Done. Please enter into their hopelessness. And then, on Sunday morning, the women are up early, if any of them slept at all, and, and they want to go to the tomb and finish the embalming in the Jewish fashion. And, of course, they in, in their simple womanly motherly love they had forgotten there was this enormous stone over the tomb and they would in no way be able to lift it but they go and of course they find the tomb is empty the stone has been rolled away angels are there and they are just as confused and then Mary is standing there and you could insert the word suddenly. She hears the voice, Mary. No one ever said Mary like that. It was the voice of Jesus. And, and suddenly they are immersed into what their brains cannot contain, that Jesus in his physical body, his body now glorified with a life that has never been seen on the planet before resurrection life Jesus is fully human in a fully human body and yet a body so glorified as to be beyond anything they'd known and for six weeks following that Peter reports later, he said, we ate with him and we drank with him. He gave us proofs that you could not deny that he was alive. Their, their world is still spinning. What do you do with this? What do you do with this? That someone has risen from the dead. I mean, I can't comprehend that. Someone, we buried them. They were dead for three days. And now we're sitting down and having breakfast with them. And they have a body which in itself is obviously deathless. It defies all the limitations of a death-doomed existence. And then he said that they have to wait. That which he had talked to them about in those last hours before his suffering. 
that which goes all the way back to John the Baptist, that they are going to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, understand, they did not really have a clue what Jesus was talking about. They, they knew what he'd said, which was the, I mean, looking back on it, it, it explained it, but at the time, if nothing's ever happened to you like this, they've got no place to put it in, you understand? There was no file for this. Jesus said that they had to go and wait in Jerusalem. And actually, the word there is not suggestive of something awfully spiritual. You could almost translate that as go and hang out in Jerusalem. Just just wait in Jerusalem uh, because <clears throat> it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power. But they, they didn't know. What did the Holy Spirit look like? What, what was activity? How did you define him? You see, all that that we now can speak freely of. Don't don't put your mind back to where they were. They they didn't know what was going to happen, but they go, and in all probability, I mean, it began apparently with five hundred of them, according to one Corinthians fifteen, and ended up with a hundred and twenty. That's a whole bunch, and, and so when it says they were in this room. In all probability, in fact, I, I would say for sure, they had rented a room inside the temple. There were lots of them, and you'll read about where they were in, in the Acts. It's called Solomon's Porch, and in Solomon's Porch there were these rooms where you, you could have prayer groups and Bible studies, and rabbis had their little schools and so on. Uh, and, and so... In all probability, they, they rented a room inside the temple, and there they prayed, and they hung out together, waiting for, they didn't know what, except that Jesus had said it would be so. And they are there. They're, they're gathered in obedience with no idea what's going to happen, and they didn't know how long either. The days slipped by. Nine days, and we're still here, still waiting for what? And then it says the day of Pentecost. I think most of you know, but let me quickly say the, the day of Pentecost, it, it was a Jewish feast, Pente. It, it means 50. It was 50 days after Passover, and, and it was the time when they celebrated the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. It was when they gave thanks to God for the harvest being gathered in within the last 50 days. And, and so it was a great feast. And they came from all over the Jewish world to, to have representation there on the day of Pentecost. A great feast with services in the temple all day long. And so they're still... 100% Jews. I mean, there's no such thing as the church at this time. They're Jews. Jews who are celebrating Messiah has come and risen from the dead, but that's about it. Uh, and they're meeting and they're praying and they're waiting for they know not what. And now on the day of Pentecost, as 100% good Jews, they are celebrating the day of Pentecost. And, of course, they're in the temple, so it's a jolly good place to be to have your celebration. 
They're going to the services. And those services on the day of Pentecost began very early in the morning. And at 8.45 in the morning, nothing had happened any more than any other day. It's just business as usual. It's just the day of Pentecost agenda in the temple. They can look up on the program, see the schedule, the next service. So the first service had ended, and now it's break time. It's the sort of thing... um, when we have Bible school here and and we have an early service um, of of study and then we break for coffee and donuts, you see. And that's more or less what happened. And so at around 9 o'clock, they're just sitting. It says they were sitting. Please know that. It doesn't say they were praying. They They were sitting. Jewish people stood to pray. So they were neither kneeling nor standing. They were just sitting around. Break time between services that were taking place in the temple as they would celebrate the giving of the law. And then suddenly, as they're just sitting there visiting, suddenly, you get it? Suddenly. And literally heaven broke into earth. It was a sound, a great sound, and I I would suggest it was the sound of the tearing uh, of that great barrier that Adam had placed between heaven and earth. And, and, And now there comes rushing from heaven the Holy Spirit, who is the very presence of heaven, now here on earth. He breaks in, and not only in but he comes individually to each one of them he says sat upon them and then he says went into them and they have become human beings who are indwelt by God the Holy Spirit and it all happened by five past nine suddenly you get it suddenly nothing will ever be the same again We have turned a corner in human history and there's no U-turn. We'll never go back. Something has happened. God, the Holy Spirit, has come to dwell inside of human beings. Suddenly. Of course, this mightily upset the day of Pentecost. (laughs) it upset. I mean, it happened to just 120 people, but it affected what was happening in that temple. <clears throat> I mean, all the schedules turned upside down because of what was happening. Um, and, and you will note this, and I'm not just being snide here. This is a fact. Compare what I've just said to religion. In religion, nothing is sudden. Hear me. Check out what you might understand as Christianity. The real McCoy, we have this possibility, potential of sudden. But in religion, nothing is sudden. We've got it all worked out, and uh, it's all very predictable. In actual fact, it's it's quite boring, really, because... um, 
No, nothing new is expected. Uh, we've got it all worked out. Every, everything that Jesus came to do, well, he did it. He's gone. And the Holy Spirit stopped working around 500 AD. And so, um, no, we just go to church. It always starts on time. And the preacher always looks the same as he did last week. And usually he says something that's pretty much the same as he said last week. And we certainly sing the hymns that we've always sung. And and, and as soon as it gets to the magic hour of 12 o'clock or whenever we're scheduled to finish, everybody's watch is coming up because you can't go beyond what we said we would do. Nothing sudden, you say. It's all predictable. It's all on time. In fact, sudden is forbidden. I mean, it, please, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. If this that we're talking about happened in many of our churches today, it would be forbidden. The deacons would do something to stop it. And anybody who wanted to get involved would be escorted out. Come on, I've seen this. I've seen it happen before my eyes. No, religion has no place for sudden. There's no suddenly in the history of religion, wherever you might find that religion. But you see, when I'm dealing with God, the real God, the real Father and Son and Holy Spirit, when I deal with the three-in-one God, can I say this carefully, He must be sudden. The more I look at this word, the more I realize that it's part of the being of God as he relates to us and we relate to him. You see, what was about to happen to these 120 had never happened in the history of the world. No human being had ever experienced what they were about to experience. You can't even go to Moses. Moses had never experienced this. You, you, you couldn't go to David, though I think sometimes he, he could see it afar off, and he touched it. But no, I say again, what is about to happen to these gathered in the upper room? There was no earthly language to describe it. There's, noth there's no vocabulary that I can draw from to tell these fellows and girls this is what's going to happen. It will be like this, like this. I can't. It's never happened. We haven't written this part of the dictionary, you see. There, there's no grammar or syntax for this. How can you explain that God himself, God Holy Spirit, is going to come in to you and not replace you, but there will be such a fellowship, such a communion, that you, through this in-Holy Spirit, will fellowship with the Father and the Son while your two feet are walking on earth. I, we can talk about that now, but these people had never, they hadn't, it hadn't yet been written. Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, which expounds on that, it had not been written yet. Even, I don't know if you noticed, uh, I read it kind of quickly there, but when, okay, Luke wrote Acts chapter 2 there, but he got that from eyewitness. People who were there told him what happened. But did you notice how they reported it? They, they said it was, it was, it was, it was like 
It was like a mighty rushing wind. Oh, was it? No, no, that's about as that's as close as I can get. It was like. And then there were tongues, like as, um, like it was something like it was as fire. And it was like the, the, there were tongues of fire on top of our heads and went inside. It, was, it didn't say it was wind. It didn't say that it was fire, but that's the closest we could get. That we've never seen. We don't have a category for this, you see. When heaven, when God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit actually enter into our creature existence and we are caught up into the holy their existence. I ran out of words. I don't have an historical model. I can't say that. Remember what happened to... No, this is the first time these fellows were going through this. This is what Isaiah had spoken about. I think it's chapter 64. And then Paul quotes it in Corinthians chapter 3, where he says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It's never been conceived in the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But he has revealed it to us by his Spirit. So... This that God does that's outside of our reported history. We've never been here before. The Holy Spirit's doing it. The Holy Spirit's revealing it, but I, I, I don't know. So God had to be sudden. He couldn't say any more than Jesus had said in John 14, 15, 16, before his sufferings. That's about it. He couldn't say any more. After this, you can only experience this. You can only feel the love of God embracing you, kissing you, taking up residence within you. I, I can't explain anymore. You've, you've just got to wait for it to happen. And therefore, it was sudden because we couldn't say it's about to happen because we couldn't explain what's going to happen you see suddenly suddenly that that upsets my intellect it really does and I'm speaking now as a student a student of theology I have been all my life and when I say this this upsets our intellect I really mean what I say it, see, my intellect deals with ideas, partial ideas. You know, you know how your brain works. You, you see something a little bit, and then you see a little bit more, and a little bit more. And there's a logical building, or as, uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says line upon line, you know, concept upon concept, word upon. You're, you're building this. You're, you're, we call it studying. And, and, and we, we study concept to concept and we sweat over it and we, we, we look at it and we pray, God, open my eyes. I, but there's always this time period. I'm not knocking that. I do that. I study. 
It says, study to show yourself approved unto God. More than has its place. But what is happening here defies that. <laughs> there was <laughs> no time to think this. Uh, my, my intellect is spinning. Well, what's happened? I, I don't have time to grasp an idea and fit it like a Lego piece into this idea. I, I, I'm swept up. This isn't a philosophy. This isn't an idea. This isn't a religion. It's God who is unlimited person who comes to me and in my heart he tells me of his love. He witnesses that I'm his child, tells me of my acceptance, gives me assurance and boldness of walking in such a life or as the New Testament word is, filled with the whole, a person, person. Do you hear me? Not an idea. Not, 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 not a religious philosophy. No, no. They've all got their place. You, you study, yes. But what with God suddenly comes because there's no other way. He couldn't come gradually. He couldn't prepare you for this. There's no way of bringing your intellect into thinking this. This isn't something you work out after three weeks of studying. No. The person, God, Holy Spirit, comes to dwell in your innermost being. He begins to enlighten your mind. He infuses your emotions. He even rejuvenates your body can't prepare for that and if you now I mean they certainly couldn't but if we were today to now try and analyze that you, your analysis is so far from the truth oh I have sat down with theologians in our seminaries and they have me there because they want to know what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they tell me what they think it is and, and all their logical ideas that have been put together. I, I had a Scottish friend, and you know the Scots have a very strong accent. And this Scotsman, trying to explain these very things, he looked and he says, Ach, man, it's better felt than telt. Yes, it's better felt than told about. It has to be sudden. Are you, you follow me on this? In the true uniting of the person of God through the Holy Spirit to my person has to be sudden. There's no other way. I, I couldn't approach it any other way. And of course it has to be sudden because... This is grace. I, I don't know what you think when you say the word grace. We've sung amazing grace under so many circumstances. I wonder if anybody knows what they're talking about, the word grace. And then I read definitions in commentaries which say it means the undeserved favor of God. Well, yeah, it does. That, that's true. But you see, the word grace, it means, yes, undeserved course it's undeserved therefore it means no working no earning undeserved but it means this it means the Holy Spirit coming 
It's the undeserved coming of the Holy Spirit into our life, empowering us to do and to be what otherwise we could never be or do. It's grace. You, it's not just undeserved favor. It's undeserved favor that is the empowerment to do whatever the favor is given for. But go back a moment. It's undeserved empowerment. Undeserved. Well, I mean, follow that through. As I said, there's no earning. See, if you get paid, you have to work for a week or a month before you get paid. So, as you go to work on the first day of the pay period, you can anticipate. I know that on Friday or on the 31st of the month, whatever, I, I will be paid. I am working toward that moment when my employer will say, you've worked enough to earn this paycheck. You, you have deserved it. You have done something that makes you worthy of receiving it. it it's, it's not a gift. It, it's, it's your right that comes after you've done this or done that. Well, if this is grace, if, if, if God has given himself to us in Jesus, and Jesus has accomplished our salvation which salvation is not only forgiveness of sins, but bringing us into dynamic fellowship with the Father, with himself, with the Spirit. If Jesus has done that, done that, and he is the gift of God, and now he sends the Holy Spirit as gift to connect us, to implement, to actualize all that he's done... I, I've done nothing. I, I, I didn't start out. You know, I, I, I met a chap not long ago, and he actually said, now, if you do three periods of 40-day fasting, go without food for 40 days, three times over, then at that point you will be in a position to receive the special gifts of God. <laughs> I suppose that's legalism taking to the nth degree. But that is the point of legalism, if you've done this and done this. See, I, I came to know Jesus among the old Pentecostals. And let me tell you honestly, I thank God for them. Um, because I, I was introduced immediately to a living Holy Spirit. But their idea was very much like what I said this chap told me it, it was that you had to give up give up give up they had a list of everything that they had deemed to to stop the holy spirit coming and after you'd given up and given up and given up and and taken on and taken on or oh, they called it tarrying they, they said it was this long period of time where you wrestled with all these terrible things you had to give up and give up and give up until you were left in their minds as clean and holy and now the holy spirit would say okay i can come and so you 
you you went along you see you're doing your work period your pay period and you're waiting for your pay no no drop that this was this is grace good grief look at these people look at them the one who's going to be preaching the first preacher of this new creation is Peter who blasphemed, cursed, said he never knew the man, didn't want to know him. And that was only a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And, and all these others? Well, they didn't deny him. Why? Because they'd all run like frightened rabbits and had no to be seen until long after the crucifixion. Oh, no. And here's John, the one who bathed in the love of God in Christ. And what? He shut his mouth and stared at the fire when Jesus asked for someone to come and stand beside him and give witness. No, they hardly had. I mean, look at them in the upper room, quite apart from Peter denying him. And they're arguing like cats in the alley as to who was the greatest and who would be the first in the kingdom of God. and I mean, did they have a clue what was going on? And even when Jesus was about to ascend ten days ago, they were still asking, is this the time you're going to you know, overtake Rome and smash everybody? They didn't. They didn't have a clue. Now this is grace. You are you are looking at grace, the Holy Spirit coming, undeserved, empowering with God love, the greatest energy, personal energy, with the face of Jesus. And they've done nothing. To deserve it. They didn't have a spiritual resume that they'd been presenting to the Father to say, I think I've arrived. They're not, they're not growing. This was not the gift of mature believers. This is not for some spiritual elite. These people were, I mean, they're hardly babies. They're, they don't know, have a clue what's going on and their lives have been sadly lacking and to them suddenly well it had to be suddenly I mean what are you going to do prior to when there's no earning no deserving it comes immediate fully present depending entirely upon the giver even in that parable Jesus told of the prodigal son and the son makes his journey toward home. He doesn't expect to be accepted into the home because he's um, he has no expectancy. He says, I am not worthy to be called your son. And I've heard sermons that sort of applaud that. The chap who said, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. Uh, they miss the point. Uh, not worthy. The father contradicted his not worthy by saying you are my son and clothed him with the best robe and sandals and ring and ushered him into the celebration. 
That was suddenly, you see, the, the son had prepared this little resume. I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to say this and this and this and this, and I bet my father would do this. And, and bam, suddenly he's engulfed in his father's arms. And he's being smothered in kisses and rolled. Well, what's going on, you see? It's suddenly, it has to be suddenly. You can't sit down and talk about this. We'll do that later and later and later. In fact, for the rest of your life. But the father contradicted in that son, he's not worthy. Suddenly. Suddenly to us. It's not suddenly to God. God didn't suddenly have a whim and say, I say, let's go and do this. No. It's suddenly to us. But it's not suddenly to God. I said, didn't I, the day of Pentecost was an ancient feast of the Jewish people. It's, it's record, it was initiated back there in the book of Leviticus. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. It's way, way, way back there. It's, so their, their year was punctuated with these holy, hilarious vacations. They went to Jerusalem, and there was the Passover. It was a feast of first fruits. And then, as I said, 50 days later, there's the day of Pentecost. And the, the year rolled on. They defined their year. Here, here in America, the, you know, we define our year um, by the events, you know, President's Day and Independence Day. And, and, um, and then into that came the Christian holidays, which... Uh, humanistic governments and peoples have turned into humanistic holidays, you know. So the celebration of resurrection has, has become spring break. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. It's, uh, we, we punctuate our year and our punctuations define us as a people. Well, the Jewish people punctuated their year by celebrating the various movements of God within their history. And one of those was the day of Pentecost. Did you notice in reading that it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come? That is, every day of Pentecost for the last 2,000 years, you have been anticipating something. That this day and all that you do in this day anticipates something that's going to happen. It's a picture. It's, it's a moving charade of what God is going to do one of these days. Well, this, it's fully come. You could say that the Lord has been anticipating this day and what's happening this day since the very beginning. In fact, you could go before that, back to the Garden of Eden, when right there at the fall of mankind from the dizzy heights to which he was created, and the Lord's first words to him were that a champion would come who would crush the head of the serpent and restore, make everything right. Well, that's what happened on this day. So you could say that the prayers of believers who had prayed over that promise in Eden, which had been expanded through the prophets, 
down through the centuries and believers praying those promises because they never knew really what they were praying for. They, they prayed what they thought, they prayed what they hoped, but they really didn't know what it would look like and they certainly didn't know when it would come. And now at nine o'clock in the morning on the day of Pentecost, that which had been in the mind and heart of God since the beginning, that had been accomplished in Jesus, the one that's spoken of in the Garden of Eden. And all that he did now is being given to humankind. And these were the first, 120. So Jesus cried, do you remember on the cross, it is finished, it's done. What was done? Everything that had been promised since the beginning, Jesus said, I did it. It's finished. And then the Father, with the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead. And the Father said, let the universe and all dimensions of existence know it. It is finished. This one carries humankind back, restores humankind to what they were always intended to be. And he ascended. He stepped out of this visible universe into the invisible half of the universe and there sat down. It's finished. And he asked of the Father and the Father gave to him as the head of all us human beings gave him the Holy Spirit and at nine o'clock in the morning our time the Holy Spirit was given but you'd hardly say that was sudden for God for God it was right on time but to us huh, to us it was sudden because we didn't know all that was going on had no clue what was happening in the invisible half of the universe. See, back, back there in Isaiah, he had tapped it. He, he said of the Lord, he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I, you, you could never grasp what I'm thinking to do for you. It's be, beyond you. But now... At nine o'clock in the morning on the day of Pentecost, his thoughts regarding you and I, mankind, came sweeping into that upper room and filled them. And human beings now not only knew the thoughts of God but were living them. But it had to be sudden. You could never prepare for that. Of course, I say it, it was an interruption. I mean, we were not planning on this for today. You understand, we, we had a whole day of this magnificent, fantastic vacation holiday in the temple and all the celebration and all the services. And it's the day of Pentecost, man. The agenda of heaven has interrupted 
our schedule has surprised us. We've been invaded and all our predictable routine has been turned upside down. Hear me, I'm not just saying this for effect. My human, my, my flesh, I, I, well, especially me, I, I, I like to have things in order. I, I like to know what's going to happen and where we're going to go. But mankind as a whole, we, we no, not sudden. Uh, I, I'm uncomfortable with it. I feel out of control here. I, I don't know what's going on. You see, there, there's got to be a better time. God? Better time, not nine o'clock. I mean, we've got a service in a half an hour. I and I don't know. As we're pro, we've only been here ten days. Uh, I, I don't think that's long enough to pray for something of the magnitude you're talking about. And and really, I mean, this this is very public. I, I feel as if I'm on show here. Um, couldn't we arrange this more privately? I mean, does it does it have to be in the temple where the whole world of Jews is gathered together on this day? Couldn't we couldn't we go back to Galilee? You know, up in the hills there, where there's nobody around, and then you do whatever you're going to do. A private place when we're much more prepared than we are. Now, we didn't get up this morning ready for this. It's as if I'm saying to God, if I knew you were coming at a baked cake, you know, it's, but you surprised me. You busted in through the door. We, we weren't praying, you see. We were just sitting around between meetings, uh, sipping on coffee, chewing on a donut, and this, uh, the greatest, most unbelievable, heavenly happening, it's, it's taken me by surprise. Whenever this happens, it's never the right time on human calendars. Never. <laughs> I mean, the Virgin Mary, from what we gather, would be in the kitchen. And remember, she's only, what, 14, 15 years old at the most. And she's, she's in the kitchen. I don't know, preparing breakfast, sweeping, uh, whatever. But, but that's hardly the place. Really, really, it's hardly the place to sit down with an archangel who's going to tell you that you're going to be the mother of him who is God. Got to get your times right, God. This is... And the shepherds out there in the pasture, they're at work, you see. They're on night shift. And actually, this word is used at that time. It says, suddenly... Suddenly, there's the angel of the Lord. He's saying, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Just a minute, I'm at work. I, I, I'm on night shift. I... And then suddenly, the whole sky is filled with angels singing glory to God in the highest. You wouldn't expect that when you're on the night shift in the factory. And Jesus coming up to those on the road to Emmaus. That was a suddenly. 
I don't know where he came from. He suddenly is walking there beside them, and he looks like a traveler, and, and they just have this mundane conversation. At least that's how it begins. And, and after all, their hearts are burning inside of them, and they drag him in to have supper. But the whole thing, so they didn't plan on that. That was a sudden, and it was a journey. Surely if you're going to reveal that Jesus is alive, find a more holy place. I mean, this was a trip. We're on a journey, and we're... we're... And then that same night, it was after supper. They'd already cleared the table. And suddenly Jesus, suddenly Jesus is there. Suddenly. I mean, he didn't knock on the door. He didn't send them an email. He, suddenly he's there. I could keep going. You get the drift of this, don't you? I mean, religion. And again, you can check this out. People ask me, you know, well, how do you define religion? Well, I said before, religion, there's nothing sudden, nor do they expect sudden, and they'd forbid it if it was so. But okay, religion lives in the was. And I'll include in that some dear friends of mine who live in the was of what God used to do. They remember back in the 60s and back in the 70s. Oh, boy, if you lived back in the was. Or, and much more usual, he's always in the will be. When you do this and when you do that and after we, uh, when we give the list of things that God can wait for. We give him permission when to work, will be. So nothing's happening now. It all was and it will be whenever we get our act together. But you see, God doesn't live in the was, nor does he live in the will be. He is now, and therefore when he works, it always surprises us. We weren't ready. He was. Could I quickly say... It was sudden, it was unexpected that the Holy Spirit was given because he was already theirs. Please understand me. You can only have from God what is already yours. We, we have all these blessings and gifts. We have everything that is under that great umbrella of salvation because it's already ours in Jesus. Jesus purchased, Jesus received all of this for us. So I can have that blessing now. I can have that relationship in my life now because already it's, it's mine. It takes the Holy Spirit to come and show it to me. And so in the heavens, in that invisible half of the universe where God is all and in all, this was already theirs. It was already determined. Jesus has received the Spirit and now sends him into the earth to us to be manifest on earth. I say again, there was no way of informing of that at that time. They would come to that later on, but to begin with it, they can only receive. They can only allow that gift to be given suddenly. 
They weren't trying to make it happen. You know those people, they hear of your spiritual experience, so they then try to make it happen for them. No, that doesn't work. They weren't trying to make this happen. They were just having donuts between services. Nor were they going through life trying to read it in and saying, is this it? Is this it? No. Just go about your life. Yeah, the Emmaus Road, they were on a journey. Yeah, the disciples were fishing. Actually, a whole night of fishing and turned up nothing. And then Jesus is on the shore and he's already cooked them breakfast. It was so sudden, so sudden. God comes into my life with something that is beyond my historical box in which I live. And he comes to give me this that is beyond my earning. It is God's gift, this empowering love. It comes to me and I can do nothing except receive. We allow, we welcome his unexpected suddenness. So we are those who, how can I put this? We live in this suddenness. You see, when you believed upon Jesus, you entered into that dimension of the Holy Spirit that first happened on Acts chapter 2. But you've entered into the world of the God whose methodology is sudden. Let me put it like this. You read the scripture. You meditate. And the word meditate in Bible does not mean the eastern blank of mind. It means to chew and chew and chew and digest and redigest the word of God. Go over and over and over. Let that word sink into you. But then, yeah, then, there comes sudden. I, I, I like to call it revelation knowledge. It's not knowledge. Just because you've read the scripture and just because you've meditated on it and you know it does not mean that it is a living word to your heart. Not yet. The Holy Spirit comes and does that and the scripture leaps out at you, wraps around your heart. And then, according to Colossians 1, you increase in the knowledge of God. You increase not only in knowing who God is and what He's like, but every thought of love, every purpose and plan of love that He's had toward you. So you begin to operate in a wisdom that is of the Holy Spirit with an understanding which is the joining of your brain with the thoughts of God. And that happens. <laughs> I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because when you're not thinking, you get out of the way. That that I've just spoken of, that sudden seeing, for me, I, but I've talked to a lot of people, it seems to happen much the same. That happens more at the checkout while someone is ahead of me having a hard time 
checking out their groceries and I'm standing there and I feel that warmth, the sudden light, the seeing of something that I've been reading and meditating, but now the Holy Spirit comes and suddenly it happens while I'm waiting for my takeout dinner to be delivered to me. It happens on my drive to the office every morning. You know what I mean? When you're not thinking, when you, and you, I, I want to stop the car, write this down, and I'm saying, Holy Spirit, couldn't you have chosen a better time, you know? I think he does that to show this isn't the product of intellectual addition of logic to logic. This is God breaking in. Or you pray and you pray. You persist in prayer. Ask and ask and ask and knock and knock, you know. And I'm not going to go into that except to say, have you noticed that after days, sometimes weeks, when it looks like nothing's suddenly... You're surrounded by answers and you see suddenly there's a change in that other person. Look, Lazarus was sick. I mean getting worse by the minute. And they send runners to Jesus. Come quickly. He whom you love is sick. And he doesn't come and he doesn't come and Lazarus dies. And he was in the grave for three days. And they're mourning and wailing at the funeral. And suddenly, Jesus shows up. And Martha runs to meet him once she heard he was there. And she comes and she's upset. And she says, basically, you're late. If you had been here five days ago, this wouldn't have happened. That's right. He looked as if he was five days late. But the truth was he was right on time because he wanted to give to them something more than a healing. He wanted to raise Lazarus from the dead. He was five days late, but he was right on time. What does that do to us? We learn to live alert. You never know when... The Holy Spirit is going to reveal something in your heart. Do something in your personal life. Make manifest in your relationships. You, be, you become alert as to what God is going to do in the company of believers you gather with. Life becomes suddenly awake. You never know when... There's going to be that manifestation of that which has been promised and that which you have prayed for. And then he comes, sheer grace, to do something that usually is far bigger than all you'd prayed for. He comes. This, this is not acceptable in the world of men and women today. Because the flesh, human flesh outside of Christ, they expect the sudden. All they do, they talk about it. They expect sudden, sudden disappointment. They expect it. Sudden failure. They're waiting for it. Get up in the morning anxious of what's going to go wrong today. 
At certain times of the year, they wait expectantly for the sudden sickness. It's that time of year. And of course, once you're expecting and waiting and anticipating the sudden invasion of darkness and failure and disappointment and poverty and sickness, you totally miss his, his glorious love sudden. Because God's love sudden that's for other people, you know. Not for me. I expect me to be a failure, you see. And so on this day of Pentecost, when that happened that we'd been talking about, what did the people say who gathered? Some of them said, they're drunk. What? What? The Holy Spirit has invaded. Love has come to dwelling humans but you are so locked into your wretched little historical box that nothing can happen outside of that. You say they're drunk. That's the only way I can explain it. It's got to fit in. So I totally miss what's happening. Do you remember that had happened back in what, John chapter 12? When the Father spoke from the sky and said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And the people looked at each other. They said, it thundered. You missed it. You missed it. Look, I'm, I'm way over time here. Look, wake up. That's what I'm saying. Wake up. You sit up in bed in the morning, and from that second on, be ready for our sudden God who comes to us. And though we have read his promises, prayed our prayers, we never, well, hardly ever, do we... He always surprises us. His grace, the gift is, leaves us speechless. Wake up, sit on the edge of your bed and let it be. How will you be in my life today? How will you fill this home today? My school how will you suddenly be right there at my desk, my factory work? How will you meet with me as we play baseball tonight? How, how will you be as we're on the beach? Okay, there it is. As I said, somebody had to say something about it. So, may you go to expect, wait, for all that is now yours in Christ. Expect to actually experience in the mundane happenings of life today. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that blessing suddenly come into your life in these days to enlighten your eyes, to inspire your heart, that out of you shall bubble and flow rivers of living water. So I now bless you and declare that is the way it is.